So five words that, on reflection, changed my life. Five words. <clears throat> we missed you this morning. Five words. We missed you this morning. Uh, I'd been a Christian less than a year, um, fairly new actually, and had found myself plugged into a Saturday morning big small group within this church I was in, uh, mainly students in 20s, a bit like this gathering tonight. And for whatever reason, I hadn't been able to go that morning as I normally would. And Dave, who was one of the leaders of the church at the time, rang me up to check I was okay. Five words. We missed you this morning. Now you might think, yeah, sure, whatever. But for me, that was the moment when I realised that I wasn't going to church. I wasn't just plugging into something and pulling away as me. I was actually part of a family And because I hadn't been at the family gathering that morning, I was missed. And I wasn't missed because I hadn't turned up to do the sound system or whatever rotor I might have been on. We didn't have those. It was simply because I wasn't there. And they missed me. Because I'd become part of the family, and when part of the family isn't there, you miss them and you realise that you're less without them, and so they wanted me to know that. We miss you when you're not here. We are not fully family when those of you who call this your church aren't here. Not long after that, I was in a prayer meeting, two words that uh, used to fill me with dread, um, prayer and meeting. Whoever called it a prayer meeting? Should it be something more exciting? Anyway... It was a great prayer meeting, Uh, and I remember very clearly the first time, really, that um, someone had had a prophetic word, a sense that God was speaking uh, about something, and and I realised it was for me. And uh, the picture was, uh, we were praying for the vision of the church, and the picture was of the vision of the church kind of being given to us in jigsaw form. And the sense of the picture was that each one of us who's part of this church was, was a bit of the jigsaw. But what this um, prophetic word was essentially said that there's, there's a piece of the jigsaw missing. And they had a sense that uh, some of us, uh, there were pieces of the jigsaw missing. And some of us there that night were being called by God to plug in, to, to put our piece of the jigsaw, if you like, into the picture, to, to be in, to say, yeah, I'm going to participate in that. And I remember that feeling as the Spirit of God just gently nudged me and said, yeah, that's you. And it wasn't that I didn't want to, it's just I didn't realise until that point that's what being part of the church meant. I I had no idea. No one had ever explained it to me, but I had this moment of realisation that that I'm on the team. (laughs) And like actually that me being in is what matters, not just someone. Because actually the way the church works, as in the church, is it's not just about getting the job done. It's not just about making sure there's enough people. It's about everybody who's part of that family being part of the team. Because in the kingdom of God, everyone gets to play. And so I I plugged in. 
I kind of got stuck in. I, I said, that's me, but I don't know how to do that. And we'll talk a bit later about how you might do it here. But I realised in that moment that I was part of a team. And when I don't contribute, when I don't give myself to this thing called the church and the vision of the church, both universally and locally, then, then not only do I let the team down, but I miss out. I don't get to be fully part of this thing that I found myself in. And actually, I don't get to bring my gifts and my talents and my passions and my experience to bear. And that means the mission of God gets hindered too. Guys, we want you on the team. We want you, gloriously you, bringing who you are and what makes you tick to the table and saying, let me plug in. Let me add something. Let me help stack chairs for sure, but let me help us create this thing called the kingdom of God. We're in this uh, little series as we kick off a new ministry year called All In. And you'll know if you were here last week that we're working through four things. We're looking at Jesus, what it means to be all into Jesus. And if you were here last week, I hopefully communicated the simple but challenging truth that Jesus expects us to go all in with him. Like, that's it. He went all in for us. He expects us to go all in for him. That means laying down our life. It's a call to faithfulness and obedience. It's costly, but that's the deal. Uh, tonight we're talking about the church. Next week and the week after we're looking at giving and mission and just as a heads up on the 15th of October morning and evening, the end of the series, there's going to be an opportunity for you to uh, pledge, if you like, the ways in which you want to be all in to Jesus' church mission. So money, time, gifts, talents, etc, etc. So I'd love you to be there for that. We're going to make it celebratory because it's not meant to be a duty and a hardship, it's meant to be a joy and a privilege. Today we're talking about church and um, what it means, really, to go all in to church. And I'm guessing that if we had time and we went around the room, we'd get a sort of spectrum of experiences. Some of you grew up in the church and you loved that and you had a great upbringing in the church. Some of you grew up in the church for a while and then it was awful, so you left. Um, some of you had it rammed down your throat. Some of you got sick and tired of the hypocrisy. Some of you... Uh, like me, maybe you went to a cathedral school or something like that and left school not really understanding anything about Jesus. Some of you only plugged into the church uh, having got here or in your late teens or whatever. So we've got a whole spectrum of experiences. What I do know is that none of us fully grasp, I don't think, the mystery and the privilege of what it is to be the church. And so we're on a journey together of discovering not only who we are in Christ individually, but who we are in Christ. Some of you will know this, but um, I think the stat is something like 87% of the time where in the New Testament, uh, the letters uh, written to the church use the word you, it's you corporate. We often read those and we read them as me because we live in an individualistic, self-obsessed culture. So you, 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 but actually the writer was going you The church in Worcester. This is something we're doing together. And what I have observed over the years is that we don't always have a very good, healthy understanding of what the church is. Uh, And we can't really commit to going all in to the church unless we know what the church is. And I actually think it's helpful to begin, perhaps, by thinking what the church is not. There are all sorts of wrong understandings, aren't there, of what the church is. 
Uh, you may inadvertently have acquired some of those. Or kind of, at the very least, you'll have conversations with your friends who assume it's this or that or the other. So like all good researchers, what I did is I went to Google. And I typed in, church is not. And here's what I came up with. Uh, church is not a building. Church is not a business. Church is not a social club. Church is not, I'm not sure that one is. Uh, church is not a country club. Church is not about you. Church is not a place. Church is not a museum. Church is not the bride. I think that's wrong. Uh, let's not debate with Google tonight. And church is not perfect. Because you're here. And I'm here. And we're imperfect. It's impossible to be the perfect church. But a whole list of things the church is not. And we could add to that list, couldn't we? But hopefully you get the point that this is clearly not what it is. But some of those things are the things that we default to thinking about. Now, back in the 1960s, some of you being at Theological College may have read this. Uh, a guy called Paul Minier, Minier wrote a book that's now a classic called Images of the Church in the New Testament. And he found there are 96 images. Here's a list of some of them. We're going to put it out on Twitter and Facebook or whatever over the next couple of days. Really helpful thing. Uh, if you had time, you could work through them all. All these references to uh, the church, different ways in which the church is portrayed. What's interesting is when you look at them and you reflect on how the New Testament talks about what the church is, it always talks about two things. The first thing it talks about is this idea of identity. Church is part of our identity as followers of Jesus. We are the church. You're, you are the church. You and I are the church. There's only one church. The Church of Jesus Christ, the one holy Catholic, lowercase c, as in universal, and apostolic, as in pioneering church. That's what we're part of. You and I are the church. It's who we are. And we here at All Saints, we're just a local expression in this moment in time, in this place called Worcester, of the church, of which Jesus is the head. So you can't go to church. People often say to me, are you going to church this Sunday? And I say, yep. I have to go. <laughs> uh, I like coming, don't worry. But um, most weeks. Um, not always. Uh, move on. Um, <clears throat> but, but actually, I will say, the thing is, like, or I want to say, you can't go to church because you are the church. What we're really saying is, are, are you going to gather with our church on Sunday? Are you gathering in the morning or are you gathering in the evening? Are you getting back together with the gang? Because we are the church. And sometimes we're gathered, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, midweek small groups, but most of the time we're scattered. But gathered or scattered, we are the church. That's who we are. When you sign up to follow Jesus Christ, you sign up to be part of his family. You guys are brothers and sisters to one another. Uh, Owen and I were away uh, last week for four days, it felt like four weeks, at the uh, diocesan clergy conference. I shouldn't say that. Um, what did you say? But it flew by. It flew by, yeah. We, okay, so extrovert Owen charmed everybody. Introvert Rich just kind of endured. And uh, so every three years, the bishop gets all of his team, all of us together, and invests in us. And parts of it were great. But what I was saying that for was by context to say that a couple of the people that were there 
are from our link diocese in a part of Tanzania, a really poor part, southeast Tanzania, called Morogoro. And Bishop Godfrey and his sidekick, Peter, were there. And every time you saw them, they went, Ah, oh, brother! Ah, sister! And I was thinking, yes! Yes! They're part of the same church in a completely different part of the world. It was a wonderful little moment. We're family, whether you like it or not. So get over it. Like you're stuck with each other. You're stuck with me. I might not always be your leader, but one day you'll see me again and you'll have to say, hey, brother, in a sort of despicable me kind of accent. Okay, so um, I love what Nicky Gumbel says. He, uh, it all come back to that. He says, uh, church is not an organization you join. It is a family where you belong, a home where you are loved, and a hospital where you find healing. Now, the second part of uh, everything is this sense of purpose. You and I, as the church, have a calling, have a vocation, have a purpose. I just like that picture, so I basically wanted to use it. I've been, it's been on my desktop for ages, so I thought that would do. Purpose. You see, the thing is that this thing called the church is not just this family living with and for God, loving him and worshipping him and getting on with each other and helping each other become Christ-like. It's a, it's a family that's been in, kind of entrusted with the mission of the kingdom of God. It's been empowered by the Holy Spirit to go in the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, in the power of the Spirit, to be Jesus to the world, to love and serve. Until the whole earth conforms to the reality of the kingdom of God. We'll talk about that uh, later in this little series. But that is part of our identity. It's part of our calling. So Bishop Tom Wright, theologian, says this. The church exists primarily for two closely connected purposes. To worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. But notice this. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two to encourage one another, to build one another up in faith, to pray with and for one another, to learn from, another, from one another and teach one another, and to set one another examples to follow, challenges to take up and urgent tasks to perform. This is all part of what is known loosely as fellowship. That's church right there. And that's why gathering week in, week out is part of the package. Whether you feel like it or not, I basically have this rule of thumb. If I'm in Worcester, I, get, I gather with my family. That's just how it works. Why wouldn't I? Because it's a priority over and above other things. I know that's not always possible, but that's my basic rule of thumb. Because this is part of following Jesus, and, part, and, and following Jesus is my highest priority. It comes with a package. It's not an optional extra. We are the church and we have work to do. Going all in with Jesus, like I talked about last week, that, that includes going all in with church. Because you can't follow Jesus all in without being part of the family called the body of Christ. It's just what happens. It's the way it works. And similarly, you can't go all in with Jesus and go all in as the church and then not do mission and evangelism because that's part of what it is to be the church. It's just one whole package, and we don't get to pick and mix. We don't get to, to buy into that, but not that. It's not how it works. 
So you're either for me or you're against me, right? Like we talked about last week. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you haven't got a Bible, we'd love to lend you one if you've left yours at home. And if you don't own a Bible, then you can take it home as long as you promise to read it. So if you need a Bible, um, jump up and down like, no, no, just wave your hands. Someone will bring you one. I'm not going to read this whole passage because of time, but um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's a lovely famous section of scripture here uh, in your Bibles. It begins at verse 12 and it goes right through to the end of the chapter, really. Um, I'm going to read some of it just to illustrate um, the point I'm going to make in a moment. Uh, This is one of those 96 images in the New Testament for the church. And it's uh, written by Paul, and essentially it summarises this is what he means when he says the body of Christ. So verse 12. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up only one body. So it is with the body of Christ. Move on, verse 14. The body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says I'm not part of the body because I'm not a hand, then that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? Etc., etc., etc. Verse 18. But God made our bodies with many parts, and he has put each part just where he wants it. What a strange thing a body would be if it only had one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body, etc., etc. You get the point. Verse 22. In fact, some of the parts that seem weakest and least important are really the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honourable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect from the eyes of others those parts that should not be seen, while other parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together in such a way that extra honour and care are given to those parts that have less dignity, etc., etc., etc. Now, here's the crucial verse, verse 27. You are, you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. Each one of you is part of it. What Paul is essentially saying here is there's an analogy between the human body and the church. The human body is made up of lots of different bits. And I cannot be fully human unless I have all of those bits and they're working properly. Okay, and there are things that we kind of emphasise in our culture, how we look... But actually, anyone will tell you that they will trade looks for health if it's a choice between one or the other. And actually, you can't function properly as a human being without all sorts of things that we don't even know about in our bodies because most of us aren't uh, medical doctors. Similarly, he says, in a sense, then, the church, what he's trying to say is the church cannot be fully church unless all the bits are in. And all the bits are joined together intentionally, choosing to be part of the body and working together. And so the analogy is some of you are the hand, some of you are the feet. One of you is the ear, one of you is the nose. Someone has to be a nostril, someone has to be the funny bone, etc., etc. But actually each one of us has a part to play. And unless we play our part, the body of Christ cannot function properly. In other words, you've got to be all in to the church. And primarily what I mean is not this church per se, although it follows from this bigger commitment to being the church, to being all in to church because that's who we are. 
and therefore as long as you're here and you decide that this local bit of it is the one that's for you, you commit to this one. But you commit to this church because you're committed to the church. And you're committed to the church because you are the church. And when you don't turn up, when you don't play your part, we cannot be church fully in, in that sense. Got it? Hello? Great, just checking. So we're going to show a video now. That's a cue to Sam, uh, which it's about five minutes long. And um, some of you will have seen it. And if you were there this morning, you know the answers, so you need to be quiet uh, and let someone else find it. So um, what I'd like you to do is, is as we watch it, we'll turn it up as loud as we can, um, just pause it for a moment, is, um, is to watch what happens uh, in this space that it's set in. Um, as certain people go about doing certain things, and that's the first thing, watch what happens generally to the mood, to the environment, but also the people in that space. Watch what happens, okay? That's a bit cryptic, I know, but it'll all make sense in a moment. So can we play it now? That'd be great. Okay, what I'd love you to do, if you're up for this, is just for a few moments, is turn to someone next to you, twos or threes, and just reflect with one another. What leapt out to you from that video about church? How does that tell us something about church? what we've been trying to get at, okay? If, like me, sometimes you hate these moments, then now's the time to call your mum or whatever. But um, uh, twos or threes, just for a few minutes, and then we'll do a bit of feedback. I want to see if you get it, okay? So go for it. Oh, oh, that's the Holy Spirit. Um, okay, just, uh, can you be a runner? Because I nearly killed myself doing it this morning. Um, who wants to just reflect back what they were talking about? Any observations from the film? Someone's got to go first. Don't be shy. I want to go first. Okay. It's always the way. Just a question for you, Rich. Did you watch that and sort of see yourself as the conductor? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyone got anything sensible to say? Uh, I think for me, it was, it, uh, this is kind of half cheating because I heard about it uh, from this morning. But I think the, the whole thing of it wasn't in a concert hall. Uh, it was, you know, which is where an orchestra usually is. Uh, it was outside mm. where people typically think that sort of thing happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, they went out to people. Yeah. Um, it was all inclusive. So, like, there wasn't anybody who was not allowed to watch or not allowed to participate. Yeah. So we had an introvert in our little group who noticed something, um, which, and which obviously she doesn't want to say now, um, which was that the, um, like the flutes were there and they were playing, but she couldn't quite pick them out. So they were adding to yeah. the like, general sound, but it didn't, not everybody was playing like the drums or a brass instrument. There were different parts that were less obvious, mm -hmm. but adding to the, yeah. to the whole feel. That's good. Thanks, LJ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it's always true that the coolest guy is the drummer. Did you notice that it sort of stayed true in that? There was one over here. Who's that? So there's kind of the obvious point that so as more and more people joined in with that um, the orchestra, and not just joined in, but kind of joined in properly, ended it probably each playing their part, um, not just sort of jumping in with an instrument and doing whatever, um, then that then had a greater impact and more people stopped to pay attention to it then. Brilliant. Thank you, Matt. Bang on. Anyone else?
um, it, it required somebody to be the first instrument to start playing in that place. Mm-hmm. So the musicians and the instruments were obviously all in the area, about spread apart. But it took the double bass player to be the first person to play a note. Yeah. There's a couple of hands over here. He wasn't willing to do it until they put some money in the pot as well. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and did you notice that the girl who put the f- bit of money in the hat stayed there for the entire thing? She was just totally transfixed. Um, you also had the fact that um, it was being shared with, it would have been shared with people away from that, like it's going to travel from yeah. there because of the fact that everybody's recording it. Mm. And in the age that we're in now, we can share so easily. Yeah, it's great. Good point. There's an advert for a bank in Spain, and it went viral. Um, so, to prove your point, yeah. yeah. It kind of comes along from the flute comment in the fact that in an orchestra, some parts are really boring. Like, the poor bass player just gets to play the same note over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then you get the first violinist who tend to get the tune all the time. Yeah. But actually... Without the poor guy who plays the same note all the time, the sound would be completely different, and you need those parts which seem less important that seem more boring, hmm. other than just the tune. If you all played the tune, it wouldn't sound like that. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. There was in that the great how great the first musician was. It was great by himself, but the full capacity of what they reached when it was every single musician there, member of the orchestra, absolutely fantastic. Same as the church. We can do it on our own. Might might touch it, might do a good job, but with everything that God has for us as a church, everybody all in together, that's it. That's what he wants. Yeah. Because there was every single person there, colour, ethnicity, race, probably different religions and everything. It was everybody was included and everybody was part of it. Brilliant. Thank you. Mark, did you want to say anything? No. Okay, so... Um, I absolutely agree. The only other thing I'd just encourage you to notice, and we'll send, we'll put a link to this on social media and emails and things, is um, a- as more people joined in the, c- the crowd, did you notice they began to join in? So some of them began to be the conductors, the kids. Um, one boyfriend starts trying to explain to his girlfriend. She didn't, didn't look at that impressed, actually. But like, uh, um, and people started to sing the song because actually it's, it was a song they knew. And uh, I think when the church is at its best, actually we, we call, we, we awaken in humanity that deep longing for God and that we help them sing a song. And um, for me, that's just a beautiful picture of what the church can be and is called to be, but it is impossible unless each and every one of us goes all in to the church. We can't be that kind of church here in Worcester, unless you are all, all in to all saints, all of the time. We are the body of Christ, and uh, each one of us is a part of it. And if you don't play your part, we lose out, and you lose out. Now, I want to change gears slightly just for the the last few minutes this evening and um, speak specifically into... um, where we're at as a church when it comes to being the church here, this place we call All Saints. I've said before that we're um, in a new chapter. There, oh, there we go, the next chapter. 
Um, and, and I don't want us to go too far into this chapter, which I'm about to unpack in a bit more detail, which will be new for some of you because you're new, and it'll be a refresher for some of you if you've been around for a while. I don't want us to go into this new season, this new chapter as a church, and really unless we're all in. Because otherwise it's just going to be too hard, and frankly it will kill Owen and I and the staff team. And I want you to understand, as much as I'm able to help you bit by bit, get your head around where we're going, what this might look like. So I'm really excited, but I recognise I've lived with some of this stuff for months. But you'll know if you've been around for a while that we have been invited by Bishop John to become one of uh, what's now known as a resource church in the Church of England. We're the first one in this diocese. We've formally been approved by the diocesan governing body. And there's a process now of um, working out when that will sort of kick in and I'll say a bit more about that in a moment. But it's a huge privilege. It's an amazing opportunity for for us as a church within the Anglican structure to serve our bishop, to serve his vision, to serve, um, yeah, what he's trying to lead us into. And and some of you will know Bishop John. He's part of All Saints in the mornings when he's not doing bishopy things. Um, And there's a whole network of these across the country springing up. The Archbishop of Canterbury has said to every bishop, every diocesan bishop, you need to appoint at least one resource church in your diocese who can work with you to bring about renewal of the church in the 21st century as we begin to try to find fresh ways to um, reach the people out there who don't know Jesus. So resource church is simply our certain churches where uh, the Church of England puts more resource in so that more resource can flow out. And they get created or they get kind of identified and and kind of redesignated. So some of the resource churches that are starting are brand new churches that are being planted. So friends of mine opened St. Mark's Coventry today, brand new church, HDB church plant in Coventry, taken over this knackered old building in the centre of Coventry, bang, new church right in there. And from day one, their calling is to be a resource church. Others, like us, are churches that are already in existence, already doing things in a certain kind of way where the bishops have been able to say, that church can become a resource church because of the way they think and the way they operate. Uh, And simply put, uh, the call on a resource church is to work with a bishop and their team to bring about uh, renewal in the wider church, to plant churches and to do various things. So here's an image that um, they put together Basically, five things that uh, resource churches do. They're calling them, they call them city centre resource churches because all of them happen to be in city centres. But they don't have to be. It just seems to be the way it goes. The first thing they notice uh, is that these churches, or they say these churches, have a city-wide vision. They think city, not parish. So in the Church of England structure, you have a parish. We're a parish church. But we've never thought parish. We've always thought Worcester. Actually, We've always thought Worcester and beyond. So we have a city regional vision. Our heart is not that we just become this big church here in the city centre at the expense of everything else. Our vision is that we help play our part in seeing the whole region transformed by the kingdom of God. And that means working with other churches. It means starting new ones. It means thinking, how do we partner? So we're part of a network of other like-minded churches in this city that meet, uh, the leaders of which meet every Thursday to pray. Uh, they're the ones behind this, the youth cafe idea. They're the ones behind the noise um, youth event uh, in October half term. So citywide thinking. Now you're probably going, yeah, of course. Doesn't every church think like that? No. And not all are called to do that. Some are called to be very local, and that's wonderful, but we're not. So that's the first reason why they've said, yeah, all saints, I think this is for you. 
The second thing that these churches do uh, is they are committed to resourcing others. So you and I will often have conversations about how much more we could do here as All Saints if we had more money, if we had more time, if we had more people. But actually, compared to most churches, certainly in the Church of England structure, we are very resource-blessed. We have way more than most Anglican churches by way of people, money, talent, gifts, know-how, etc. And resource churches naturally want to share that. Not kind of without some sort of criteria, but basically wherever possible we want to share it. On most Sundays now, uh, as well as people being here, we have folk from All Saints in other churches helping. Leading worship there, doing kids' work there, consulting on this there. We've got various people who go and help churches think about their financial structure, for example. So we're doing all sorts of ways, uh, things to do to resource the wider church. Uh, They are what they call learning communities. So they're places where people are being taught how to be kingdom people. Again, you might think obvious, but actually not always intentionally happening in lots of other churches. Um, They are churches that are looking uh, or or already planting new churches. Planting brand new from scratch or replanting into an existing church, which is our story. So my predecessor, Paul, who's now one of our associate vicars, he got ill, um, had to step down, but is now well enough to be part of the team part-time. Amazing guy, some of you know him. Um, He came in 2002 with his wife and family, and they essentially restarted All Saints. So lots of that is going on and will go on. And then finally, they're committed to developing leaders. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do here all the time. We've just seen our 18th person since I came here eight years ago enter into the process for discerning whether or not they're called to be um, a Church of England minister. And two people spoke to me about it for the first time this morning. Now, that might not seem like a high number, but when I tell you that that is more than the rest of the diocese put together... They notice that and they go, what is it about All Saints? That means lots of people from here want to become vicars. I don't know. And maybe it's just, you know, Owen and I, um, or just Owen. But um, we haven't intentionally done that. That's just the fruit of this environment, okay? But they look at all of that and they say, All Saints, we want to put more into you so you can do more with us, Uh, so you can help us because we need help. We need to plant more churches if we're going to reach our culture. We need to plant different kinds of churches for different kinds of people. We need to do a whole load more. And we're not the only solution to that, but we are a key part of the strategy going forward. Does that make sense so far? I I find it really exciting. Um, What the church has already done, uh, if you are here last week, you'll remember we announced that Owen is going to be transformed from curate into associate vicar at the end of... Beginning of December, in here, 3rd of December in the evening, Owen there's funding now for a new post for up to five years, which Owen has said yes to. So he's finishing his curacy, staying on as an associate vicar. In addition to that, we get a new curate next summer. So they're adding to our team. And there's a bid going in or an application going into the church commissioners for money from head office, if you like, to help us get up and running. So that will be for things like our buildings, for some staffing, etc., etc. putting money in so we can get going on a whole new level. Now, what that means is two things. On one level, it means nothing will actually change for most of us most of the time. We will carry on being all saints as we are. But there will be things happening where we're asking you, would you like to help us plant that church? Or we're actually being asked to put in somebody to lead that one, and it's in a place that you live. Would you go there? Would you help us take a bit of all saints DNA and replant it over there? 
And my, heart, my hope, my heart is in 20 years' time, we will have this relational network of churches that all know each other, that are some way linked back to here, with me kind of, as the leader of the resource church, my role will then be to primarily to, be to coordinate those leaders and to continue to lead here with the help of Owen and someone else. So, so we're part of this big family where we're kind of working together rather than just each thing doing its own thing. We're in this network, much more sensible, much more exciting, much more collaborative. That's a good reason to stick it out in Worcester, if you need one, by the way. Because over the next 20 years, if we do this, we could really see the landscape of the church change. And it really needs to happen in this part of the country. So um, I will tell you more as we go. There will be opportunities once we're a bit clearer on timings and some of the structural implications, which we're still working out with the bishop. Uh, there will be opportunities for an information and prayer evening, for example, things like that. We'll, we'll do those sorts of things. For now, please would you pray? Pray for us. Pray for Bishop John. Pray for us as a church. And start listening to God in new ways. What's, what's he speaking What's he wanting to do? Because this is not about us just becoming a big super church. This is about us giving ourselves away so that the church can thrive and more people can come to know God. And so we need spiritual imagination, don't we? I'm conscious of the time, but I want to finish with um, some thoughts real quick on uh, how you can go more fully all in to church if that's what you want to do. If you're convinced of my argument, my thesis, here's how you do it, okay? Here's what I've said to Kath and I. We need to do this again. We need to commit to these things. So four things. They're all beginning with C because that's what people like me are paid to do. Okay, so num number one. Um, I spent a whole week on this. Um, <laughs> number one, would you... Not rocket science. Would you commit? And primarily, I'd like you to ask the question... Have I committed to being part of the church? Am I fully committed to Jesus and being part of his family? Because actually, unless you and I repeatedly, intentionally commit afresh to being part of the family, opting in, we often will just drift away or be kind of slightly standoffish or slightly kind of set an agenda, compromise here, there and everywhere. What Jesus wants is people who go, yeah, I'm in because I'm into you. And so being part of your family, yeah, that's the package. And if you can commit to the church, then you've got to say, I'm going to commit to a local church. And if this is your local church for now, commit to it. And commit 100%. There is a stat in church leader world which goes like this. 20% of the work in most local churches is... Uh, sorry, 20... I get this right way around. 80% of the work in most local churches is done by 20% of the congregation. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. I'm still, uh, what's the right word? I don't know, crazy enough, full of faith enough to believe we could make that something different. I, I think we could, if we all go all in, say that 100% of the work is done by 100% of the people. But I can't make you. I could give you guilt trips every week. <laughs> I could. And actually, you'd all do more, but it wouldn't be the, in the kind of way that's life-giving. That would be at odds with our cultural uh, priorities here. So it's, it's got to be an overflow of your personal journey with Jesus. Sometimes, what committing to this place looks like is simply, some of it's the boring stuff that we talked about, that we heard just now. Someone has to put the chairs away. Someone has to make coffee again. Sometimes, you just don't feel like coming. 
but you, to a gathering, but you gather anyway because this is your family and you're part of it, and it's a commitment you've made, so you turn up. And sometimes you don't get anything out of it. That's all right, because actually you were here for someone else. It's actually not about you. Okay? So sometimes commitment is a choice. It's being intentional, making it a priority in your diary. If following Jesus is your highest priority, then committing to being part of his church should be next, along with some other equally important ones. But often what happens is connecting into church life can often go right down the list. Guess what happens when you do that? You drift away, or you end up sort of going through the motions on the sidelines. You're not really in the thick of things. And we lose out, and you lose out. I'd love to think you're all queuing up to get in. You're just desperate to get here to put the chairs out. But it's not just Sundays. I'd love you to think about connecting beyond the gathering. The reality is once you get to more than 30, 40 people in the room, we cannot all know each other. We cannot do life together. And so we have a network of midweek groups. We're trying to invest in it a bit at the moment, get some new ones going. But I want to say to you, if, you, if you're serious about following Jesus in community, you need to join a small group, a midweek group. You can't do it on your own, and it won't happen here. Other things happen here on this scale that are great, but you need to connect in to some form of community. And it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you money because you're going to have to get there. It's going to mean you have to be vulnerable and share your life. But actually, that is what it is to be the church. It's to give up your life for the sake of other people. The third thing I'd love you to do is think about how you can contribute. Uh, Put more in than you take out. Join a team. Serve on a team somewhere. If you don't know how to do that, uh, we'll be talking about that in the next couple of weeks. But Production team, so the guys on the desk over there, the kids team, the youth team, the student team. We have a hospitality team. We have a volunteer admin team. There's a team basically for anything. And if there isn't a team that suits you, then we'll make one, all right? Because we want everyone to play their part. Uh, And finally, I'd love you to help us create. It seems to me that the most creative place on the planet should be the church. And sometimes that's the visual arts and all of that, and I'm totally up for all of that. And sometimes it's basically thinking through, how are we going to create this future? How are we going to engineer this? How are we going to structure this? So I'm having a conversation, for example, with someone at the moment who was very big up in business, who I've asked, would you come and help us revisit our structure so that we can actually do this? And he's like, yes. Whereas I'm like, oh, it just freaks me out. So he's like bringing his gifts to bear and helping us create pathways for the future. I'm nearly done. All of this, and we'll, we'll come back to these in time, all of this is going to cost. I said last week that a challenge for disciples is that we can't have it all. What's also true is that we can't do it all. You only have 168 hours a week. And the faithfulness and obedience we talked about last week includes ensuring that we make church an appropriate priority in our diaries. Not just Sunday, but all the other stuff. Equally, and you'll know if you've been around for any length of time, I do not want us to go all weird and churchy. My priority, actually, is that you do what we all need to do. If everyone did a bit, if everyone was in, it wouldn't be that big a deal. But, But there are jobs that have to get done, right? My main priority is that we are the church in the world. So the last thing I want is you here all the time. But some of you, let me just put it out there, might need to be here a little bit more often. Contributing, connecting, creating. And so this means saying no to other things. Simple as.
And when we're tempted or pressured to compromise, let's remember the one who didn't. Paul says uh, in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for her, for us, the church. And the way that he builds his church is brick by brick, living stones, humans, who give themselves up for him. So let's pause for a moment. We're going to finish. But I'd love you just to listen to God for a moment before we go. Um, If you're here tonight and you'd like to be prayed for in a particular way, then after the final prayer, we'd love to pray with you over to my left, your right. But just for now, just before we finish, just pause. Do you remember the two questions from last week? Can anyone remember them? What does Jesus want me to do? And why don't I do it? They're the basic discipleship questions. Okay, so what does Jesus want you to do when it comes to going all in to his church and therefore this one for now? Just have a 30-second listen and then we'll pray.